With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. People forget that in this age of frameworks and badge collecting, that it's still about creating an environment that people want to be a part of to get the job done. Welcome to the Schmidt List, the podcast for people dedicated to managing successful projects, developing impactful products, and building engaged teams. And now, here's your host, Kurt Schmidt. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 58. This week, Colin Ellis joins us to talk about the lost art of team building and the importance of defining your project culture before you start to design or build anything. Colin is great and has a lot of insight into how to build a successful team, so I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. And a quick note before we get started, we've been busy planning some amazing live podcast shows for this year, so if you want to be in the know when and where those will be happening, head to schmidt-list.com and sign up for the monthly newsletter. So let's not waste any more time and let's jump into my talk with Colin Ellis. Colin, thank you for joining me on the show today. My pleasure, Kurt. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm a big fan of the work that you do, the content you put out. Um, I've watched a number of your videos. I've I've read a lot of the things you put out there, and especially your view on uh, project management and what that role is like today versus like what it was 10, 20 years ago. And then also the things that come with that, the emotional intelligence side, showing gratitude, um, being vulnerable, um, all those things. So I feel like you and I have a lot in common. Did you also trip and fall into project management like I did? Or was this a, a, a boyhood dream? <laughs> trip, fell, still got the scars to prove it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think someone tripped me up ah, into project management. Yeah. yeah, I was working in, uh, very, very, very briefly, I was working in telesales for a newspaper in Liverpool in, in uh, England. That's my, that's my home. And I wasn't very good at the sales process, if I'm brutally honest um but i loved talking to people and i loved creating teams mm -hmm. and and one day so this was this was pre-year 2000 for those listeners old enough to remember it which is probably just me and uh year 2000 computer systems were going to fail around the world i just wasn't a techie guy at all but i was good with people i was good with teams and someone asked me if i would apply to become a project manager and i had no idea i was like what's a project manager they said you'll get a car you'll get a phone an expense account and you'll be away from home for four years. I was like, I definitely want to be a project manager. <laughs> and that was it. I was in. <laughs> That's beautiful. And and, uh, and so as you went through that journey, learning project management and then growing in it as a career, 
as uh, we were talking before the show started, much like myself, I, I spent a lot of time on learning frameworks and trying to get certifications and uh, all these things that said that I knew what I was doing. And but what I quickly found out through the process that the projects that turned out really, really great were the ones where I had a really great team and not to humble brag here, but a lot of that I felt like was because of me being a pivot point for the team, being uh, someone to lean on when there were issues, being someone to cheer when there was wins. Do you find that your journey was also similar to that? To, to a degree, Kurt. You know, when I first started out in project management, I was all personality. Literally, I was hired because, you know, I was good with people, could good with teams. So I was just like, I'm just going to bring all of that. You know, and the teams that I'd created in my career today in, 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 in other industries, they were great. They were great fun and people wanted to be part of them. What I quickly found was that I had really had no discipline and that's, you know, that was part of my personality. And so that's the stuff that I had to learn. Mm. But back in that, back in those days, so that was 97, is people didn't say, oh, you've got to follow a process. Oh, you've got to follow a framework. I had, I had someone work with me to say, okay, well, here's how you do this stuff really well. They showed me how to do a work breakdown structure. They took to me about risk management and the importance of risk management. You know, I, I always say that we do our best work on the edge of uncomfortable. So what I had to really learn was how to capture all of that important stuff and manage to that because I found that the team building stuff that I could do, although I say that, you know, I was working with a team of introverts and, and as an extrovert, a lot of the stuff that I did in the early days didn't work. I was all positivity and energy <laughs> and they, most of the people wanted to kill me on a daily basis. Not that I was a bad person, it just didn't work so I had to learn how to build different teams and then you know I'd, I'd like to think uh, well and I know this from feedback that I've had that you know people would jump at the chance of joining my teams again because that was what was so great is not only were they fun to be part of but geez we got the job done Kurt, and and you know I think people forget that in this age of frameworks and badge collecting that it's still about creating an environment that people want to be a part of to get the job done. One of the things that I've heard you talk about is the importance of defining the project culture. Could you talk to me a little bit more about what that means and how you approach that? Yeah, it's the dying art of team building, Kurt. You know, I still, you know, when I talk, I did a big um, CIO, a chief information officer conference at the end of last year and talked about the fact, I'm fairly blunt about some of this stuff. Well, honest, I like to think is that they still don't value project management and you know they sign off a business case and then they'll just the nearest person will be assigned as the project manager and they're like okay go just get on with it <laughs> um where really what you need to do is build a team first that feels connected to something and then do a plan it doesn't matter whether it's waterfall or agile or whatever method that you're using you still need to build a team build a plan deliver the project but build a team no one shows you how to do it it's not in any of the frameworks it's never in any kind of process guides you know and it's a very personal thing and you know this was something that I was good at so I kind of created this myself when I was you know back in the day when I was a project manager I was like okay well what what would a good team look like what are some things that it needs and and essentially we call it culture these days Kurt mm -hmm. and and so you know a lot of the work that I do when I do project management programs and you know there are some organizations who really want to change and they're the ones that I work with is I teach people how to be the best version of themselves but also to create a great team and then to write it down and 
And that then is you know, kind of the definition of the culture. So immediately what you've done, Kurt, is set the expectation for everybody right at the start to say, this is who we are, this is what we're about, this is how we'll work together. Right, let's collect the information we need to build a plan and then let's go do it. And and we, we just don't really know how to do that. We send everyone on a course and go, right, we're agile now, okay? <laughs> go do scrum. <laughs> yeah, That'll fix it. Yeah, I'll do it. That'll do it. It's been working for years. Yeah. It's definitely worked for you guys. <laughs> I can't sense any sarcasm in your voice. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so hard to pick up on. So with that, there's there's two things that I pulled out of there that I really want to get your take on. One is you talked about the idea of workshopping the project culture piece ahead of starting the project, which I really love the idea of is getting everybody together and not talking about the project, but talking about how we're going to operate as a team, what our values are, what the goals are, what each of our individual goals are, all those different things you talked about. But one of the things that kept sticking in my head is that a lot of the clients or people you're working with or stakeholders, they just want you to go, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Why? Why are? You, what is this thing up front? Number one, it looks expensive. It looks like a time waste. Why are we not just building a backlog, Colin, and getting started? Like, how have you successfully navigated those conversations? Uh, there, there's so many ways that I do. You know, so I, I do these with big programs. And I you know, work with companies around the world now who found out about these workshops. It's two days, right? It's two days. And there was one that I worked with last year. And the project was, I don't know, what was it? 2.5 million or something. And essentially, the, the, the two days is something like 0.2% of the <laughs> overall budget. And I'm like, yeah, why would you not? And afterwards, they're always like, oh my god we can't believe we never did this because what organizations tend to do they're like go 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 and then halfway through when everything turns to custard they're like right we need to regroup right we need to we need to get back on track here right let's have an offsite. Yeah. all that can be avoided if you actually take the time to build a team up front or oh, the worst thing that i've seen happen kurt and this happens so many times is the project breaks halfway through so they bring in a white middle-aged guy to shout at everyone mm -hmm. yeah because that's going to work as well and and, and, you know, kind of this concept of projects is people aren't used to building a team up front. So, you know, and I talk all the time at project management conferences that people involved in projects, you can't leave your integrity at the door. It's your job to build a team, build a plan, deliver the project. So when you're, you know, and I, I'm very critical of Nike project sponsors, just do it. Part <laughs> of just doing it is building a team. So even if you're coming together for a month, you, you still spend half a day together to talk about how you're going to work together, how you're going to collaborate how you're going to meet, what tools are you going to use, all of this stuff. Uh, and if it's any longer than that, any, anything at all at six months and beyond, you're going to spend a minimum of two days just agreeing how you'll work together. Yeah, one of the things I would do early on that was helpful but yet sparked the same sort of angst in some stakeholders was a pre-mortem. And we, would, yes, we yeah. would get together and talk about all the things that could possibly go wrong and how we would solve them. And it was great to hear from the entire team Team because they would leverage their experience and we'd hear from other people on, on what has gone wrong and other projects in the organization. And it was really great. But I do remember having a conversation with a stakeholder saying, why are we spending all this time talking about what could go wrong? That seems really negative. <laughs> exactly. Uh, pre is great. And that's a great example of a simple half day thing that you can do to start to build the culture of the team at the start. Mm -hmm. You know, and you do build that connection and you get people talking and people do the little introductions. But because people aren't used to it and because management don't value still don't value 
project management as a profession, um, they just see it as a waste of time when it's absolutely critically important. You know, so we have to address the balance. The, the, the profession has to address the balance by talking not about the badges that they've got and the mechanical stuff that they know, but about what's important so that, you know, kind of management, and I hesitate to use the word leadership, but management starts to put a value in it and insist that it gets done mm -hmm. rather than seeing it as a time-wasting opportunity. The, the other thing that it also sparked when I heard that was I've had team members in the past say things like, why are we doing this team building stuff? What are we going to be doing? Trust falls? Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, why can't we just get started? How, how have you set expectations with a team on this idea that might seem kind of lame to some people because they're thinking of the sort of traditional team building trust falls exercises yeah so you've you've really got to change the dynamic of that i mean for someone who you know i've been working myself for about three and a half years now Kurt, with a with a real emphasis on being the antithesis of pretty much everybody that i worked with over my 30 year career i mean no disrespect to the no disrespect that's one of those phrases that we use that's then followed by a bunch of disrespect um <laughs> but, but there's just so much bland and boring um you know so i used to you know certainly as a, as a project manager in when I used to head up project departments, I would do different things um, to make sure that there was lots of fun, uh, to make sure that people didn't see it as that. You know, I used to use personality surveys, and I do them now. But stress up front that no personality survey is perfect. It's used to enhance communication and to force a little bit of self-awareness. Um, you know, for the clients that I work with now, I record videos beforehand, so people are like, okay, good. It's not going to be something dry and boring. You know, I I got one group into a big circle and I said, right, now I want everybody to hold hands. <laughs> and you could hear the audible groans. Now, I did it for laughs, as I'm prone to do. <laughs> but it was just so funny because um, I was making a point about different personalities. So some people wanted to hold hands immediately and other people were like immediately put their hands mm. in their pockets. That's great. Um, but all of that stuff is hackneyed, it's old, it's boring. And I think, you know, certainly in the project world, it's it's time to reject that stuff in the favor, it, you know, in, in favor of something that's energizing, it's positive, but it's also focused on bringing people together to get the job done. Let's say I'm, I'm listening to this show and I really like what Colin's saying, but I've got a project I'm kicking off tomorrow. And what would be your advice if I'm just going to dip my toe into this idea of helping define my project culture up front? What's a, what's an exercise or a piece of advice maybe you'd you'd suggest starting with something simple Kurt then I would literally get everybody together uh, for 52 minutes so never an hour uh, because that's what everybody else does never <laughs> half an hour that's what everybody else does right 52 minutes preferably in some somewhere different uh, you know somewhere external to the office because you want to change the dynamic I would get everybody to just introduce themselves uh, on the team uh, for, for two minutes no longer than two minutes you know who you are what's one interesting thing because what you want to do is open the door just a little bit. You don't want it to be a full-on embarrassing exercise, mm. uh, but you need to share a little bit of yourself in order to create connection with other people. And then talk about something simple. Talk about great teams that you've worked on. What did they have? And then, you know, for me as a project manager, I would make a note of some of those things. And, and the typical things that people would come up with were, 
it was energizing, it was positive, we didn't waste time, meetings were productive, all of those things. And then come up with a set of actions, things that you're going to do differently within your project. So, you know, that could just be a 52 minute, and never, never 53, right? You don't want to, you don't want to go over time because you right. can't run a meeting to time. You're never going to be able to run a project to time. Just something <laughs> simple that, that sets a different tone uh, and that kind of opens the door so that people get to know each other. Another subject I've heard you talk about that really resonated with me was your showing up with a game face versus showing up vulner- with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've experienced this before, especially either anybody in sort of that mid-role, a product manager, a project manager, where there's sometimes uh, it's it's almost this, I've got to I've got to put on this act a bit or else people won't listen and respect me. And, and so the things I've seen in movies and television shows is, you know, you've got somebody up there screaming, saying, always be closing. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that works. Right. So I'm going to try that. And people wonder why they're not getting those results. But the other part that you talk about is showing up with vulnerability and making yourself vulnerable in a positive way that can inspire the team. Could you talk a little bit more about your experience with that sort of approach? Yeah, when I, when I first started work, uh, Kurt, my dad said to me that it was important to be respected, not liked. Uh, it's a very old-fashioned phrase, and and basically what that means is you've got to go in there, you've got to show them who's boss. You know, that's that's kind of what was meant by that. Mm-hmm. You know, for t- for for too long, we've downplayed the importance of emotional intelligence in the workplace. Um, but then, you know, it's really really important that as uh, within organisations that we encourage emotional intelligence. We don't just talk. About about it the same is true of culture and so I always say to 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 people that it's important that you're the best human being that you can be and that means that every now and again you give a little bit of something away about yourself and so putting on a game face you're not bringing the real you now this is not I'm not talking about authenticity because I just don't like this concept of authenticity mm. because there are some people on the planet who think they're the most authentic per- people in the world and they're idiots right <laughs> so authenticity <laughs> is very subjective you know it's about what I I think. Whereas, you know, I I talk about being the best human being that you can be, you know, what's the right way to talk to another human being, to treat another human being. And that way you get this sense of fulfillment and that you you kind of got a purpose that, you know, this is who, this is the kind of person that I want to be. And I'm going to be that person. That's not to say that it's not going to be a challenge. It's not going to be tough. You're going to have to look at yourself on a, on a daily basis. Um, Kurt and say, okay, well, you know, what are, what are my blind spots here? What are the things that I need to work hard at? Um, but the thing with the game face is every now and again, the mask drops and slips. And then we see the real person and we're like, oh, why can't we see that person more often? Mm. And so I think if you show up kind of with vulnerability at the start, and that's why I always encourage people to share a little bit bit of something about themselves. You know, that was that advice that I just gave you. It's very vulnerable. But if, if, if you do that right at the start, then people see you as a human being. We all make mistakes. So say that, you know, uh, we like to laugh from time to time. That's okay. Um, there, there are some things that we're not so good at that's cool you can't be great at everything nobody nobody on this earth is is perfect but there's lots of people particularly in the project management profession who who are overly arrogant because they've been on a course and got a bunch of badges <laughs> and they think they know it all and it's like you know i met one guy and he, he gave me his business card he had so many letters after his name i thought it was a word search <laughs> um and, you know i was like mate this is cool but who are you mm-hmm. 
he's like, oh, I'm a dad, you know, I kind of live on the East Coast. And I was like, that's cool. That's the stuff I want to know. Right. One of the hardest things I think I've always struggled with, and maybe this is a common occurrence, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm the only one. But how do I balance that, creating that culture versus getting the job done and making sure the job is getting done? How do I create that fun environment, but yet be able to still hold people accountable to getting the work done? How have you found maintaining that balance? It became a lot easier uh, when I concentrated on my role as a project manager, Kurt. So my role as a project manager and, you know, latterly as heading up big project departments was to inspire and motivate a group of talented people to get the job done. That's my job. In the early days, I got stuck too much into the detail of stuff. And I felt that I had to know all of the detail when I didn't, right? What you need to do is put your trust in other people to know the detail. And it was my job to inspire and motivate them and then to capture all the information necessary to keep the thing moving forward. So my role was, you know, it's communication and relationship business, right? Project management. My job to make sure that there was connections between people, that I removed roadblocks before they were there sometimes. That's what good risk management is all about. And then to really get to know individuals and that's what we mean by empathy, right? Such that I could play to their strengths but concentrate on my job. My job is to inspire and motivate a group of talented individuals. I think lots of project managers, they love their paperwork. They love all of the, you know, kind of schedules and so on. That's cool, but that's one day a week. That's Friday. You would you know, use your Friday to kind of capture all of that stuff. All you're doing all the way through the week is making sure you're present at meetings, you're smiling, you're projecting positivity, you're looking for solutions, you're encouraging people, you're lifting people up, you're celebrating success, all of that kind of stuff. That's your job. And someone said to me once, like, oh, my God, that sounds exhausting. I was like, well, when you do a great job, it is. But there's no better feeling than getting home at the end of the day knowing that you've done a great job and you're exhausted. And then you go to the gym because <laughs> <Right. laughs> you've got to do it all again tomorrow. Yeah. So you've got to go again, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's that's an interesting take. I think the... I think the one thing that people don't understand is the amount of emotional labor that needs to go into that sort of role you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's right. One of my favorite books is a, a book called Emotional Capitalists by a guy called Martin Newman. Excellent book. And he talks about this concept of building emotional capital. So I love the emotional labor. Is It's truly exhausting. Um, and you are, you know, I, I said to someone once, like, if you don't, he's like, oh, what, what do you do if you're a project manager and you don't like people? I was like, yeah. get another job. Get another job get another job because your job is people um it, it's literally draining like elevating someone shutting somebody down performance managing that person you know bringing that but giving that person more responsibility it, it, you really are a kind of psychologist psychiatrist, it what you will personal trainer you're all of those things uh, but when you see people deliver and you see this fulfillment that they've got it's such a great feeling you never take credit for it right but it's such a great feeling right. uh, to see that and, and then that's when project management becomes a drug 
and you're like, okay, what's my next project? I want to work on something else. Right. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I really glad you said that because there's something um, that you've written that I've read before is uh, something that hit me pretty hard in the beginning, early in my career was, are you ready to take all the blame and none of the credit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. You're walking around with a permanent target on your back and you have to be okay with that mm-hmm. um, because you're the umbrella for the team. You know, there's so much stuff that comes down and you've got to protect those guys because you need them to be the best versions of themselves and to get the job done. Um, so you've got to take you know, all of the blame, none of the credit. Absolutely right. You know, so every time there's a kind of celebration, it, it's never the job you've done. It's always the job that other people have done. And you can, you know, congratulate yourself when you get home for a job well done. But everybody really knows who's the person who's leading that team. So that's mm-hmm. all good. Yeah. And I think it really resonates because where I've found a lot of success as I grew in my role as a project manager is starting to work more with startups because startups those people that are doing that are basically project managers they're they're managing small teams and but they're running companies and at the same point i still run into ceos of large companies that are terrible project managers (laughs) and and you can hire all the people you want but if, if 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 all the information comes from the top down it should be organized and put in a way that people can understand so they know what is priority and and whatnot but it seems like a lot of these leaders kind of skip that <laughs> they do. They, they skip the build a team and build a plan. I worked with my first startup last year, Kurt, and and they were like, okay, you know, we've got all this funding. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, and this we've got this product to deliver by, you know, I think it's June next June this year. It's like, so we heard you're the project management guy. Yeah, so we really want to help you. I was like, okay, cool. Talk to me about your culture. He was like, what? <laughs> I was like, talk to me about the culture of your startup. <laughs> oh, well, we just got started. I'm like, well, surely you put some time and effort into defining who you are and what you're about. Oh, you mean brand? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, what you know, What do you expect here? You know, one of the things that Netflix did very early on was they, that's what they did. They said, who are we? What are we about? What's our vision? I was like, and then they built a plan to dominate the world and content. Um, I was like, well, you've got you to do those two things up front if you want to be successful as a startup bearing in mind that whatever it is that you deliver might not work yeah but if you've got a good culture something to fall back on that foundational work that you've done then all right then you're good to go again and and people understand their role within that um but but you know as you rightly said without that plan then it's just going to be pressure on a bunch of people to do something and if you get there then it's almost accidental yeah and i think it's unfair to put that pressure on people if they don't understand the why right yeah, totally. The, the, the why it's got to exist. It can't just be somebody's great idea and, you know, you really sell it to them at interview and they might be engaged for a while, but sooner or later they're going to be go, oh, but I wasn't really involved in the definition of this culture, so I don't really feel a part of it now and I'm going to leave. So shifting gears for a second, let's talk about what happens when a project does go awry and it is falling off of the rails. I'm guessing, Colin, you've been brought in in certain cases to help write a ship that is maybe listing and turning on its <laughs> on its side. Let's say, you know, I'm I'm taxed 
with doing that. What's some of your advice to, to really get your hands around how to right side a wrong project? Yeah, you know, I love those things. And, and it, it is a lot of the work that I do with big programs. I don't consult or advise, you know, when people say, oh, we've got a project that's going wrong. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's redefine the culture because that's the problem. Oh, no, well, the problem's the budget. I'm like, no, 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 the problem's not the budget. The problem is how you work together to prioritize your work. Because if you took some stuff out, you'd have enough money. Oh, right, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> and so it's to get people to to actually take the time to do it. That's the hardest thing straight away. Because what people want to do is like, oh, okay, we've got a project going wrong. We, you know, we thought you could come in for an hour and talk to us. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> an hour's not going to achieve anything. How serious are you at writing this project? Oh, we're deadly serious. Okay, cool. Let's take everyone off site for two days. Oh, two days seems like a lot. Oh, how serious are you? Because we've got to have a tough conversation with each other about some of the things that are broken right now. And it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, mm. but we can't come up with the solutions to that in half an hour because we have to fundamentally fix some of the things that are broken. And I guarantee usually the things that are broken are collaboration, the way that we work together, mm -hmm. innovation, the way, you know, do we make time for new thinking and how we challenge some of the existing norms and the behaviors of people. And, you know, usually you, you, by spending time agreeing what the key behaviors will be going forward, how we'll work together and how we'll make time for new stuff and then packaging all that together in a way that feels refreshing, energizing, positive, that also is honest about where we've come from and where we need to go. At the end of the two days, people are pumped. They're like, yeah. And then usually they're like, no, we should have done this at the start. And so I think if you're a project manager in that position, let's start with some honesty and, you know, be very human about it say hey listen we're not where we need to be and everyone's part of that so you know what's some things we want to keep going forward and what's some things that we need to fix mm -hmm. you know and the kind of that you know it's almost that pre-mortem approach as you as you talked about Kurt you're kind of going to do it midway but you have to stop you have to stop then and make it the most important thing to redefine that the way you're going to do things going forward otherwise it will never be the most important thing and you'll be firefighting forever and a day I think that's also the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around because I, I totally agree with what you're saying is that when things are going off kilter it's time to stop like if you're going over budget and the timeline's being blown it's time to stop and reassess which is really hard for people because they just think well let's just double down or throw more people at it and that will fix the problem but what I've learned in uh, my excessive decades of doing this is that just like you said it is a communication problem more often than not it is and i talk about this a lot in the talks that i do is that you know building custom software and designing custom software is 90% communication. Um, yeah. It's 10% right. skill. Yeah, that's so true. The other thing that I've seen as well, Kurt, is that when projects go awry, what you get is a senior manager who'll bring a firm of consultants in to review it. Like literally the worst thing you can do. And I know because I've done it myself. <laughs> I did it myself. I already knew what the problems were. I didn't need to spend a hundred grand on a firm of consultants or 50 grand or whatever to find out what it was. I knew the problem. A part of it was the fact that I wasn't engaged myself. And then you add someone else into the mix that further divides the culture rather than using a facilitator or whatever you want to call it to bring everybody together and get them to come up with not only the problems, but the resolutions and then put the onus on those people to fix it. 
because as soon as you give it to a third party, it, it kind of absolves everybody within the project of any kind of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for us to sit back and go, well, it's not mine anymore. They can do it. You know, and I often feel sorry for, for consultants in that position because they're basically given a hospital pass, <laughs> um, you know, and they've made billions. You know, we've seen like the big consultancies have moved away from accounting and more into kind of project advisory services. They're making billions and billions out of project advisory. And yet project success rates haven't gone up. Right. They've gone up 5% in 20 years, which is completely disproportionate to the amount of money we spend on these services. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're adding any value. It's just a safety blanket for lazy senior managers. One of the last things I want to talk about is in your terms, when, when somebody says we really need a win on this project, what is how does that translate to you? What do you need to do to establish and get that win? Yes, they call the satisfaction. That's how I established it. Now I used to conform to the old fashioned time and cost if it delivered it's on time and it's on budget what does that mean really because the nature of projects is that those two things constantly shift and change um a win in a project is where the stakeholder is happy not only with their outputs because obviously it's their job to go and get whatever benefit is derived from a project but the actual experience of the project as well now this is something we didn't talk about 20 years ago but it's absolutely what we should be talking about today is our job within project management world is to make sure that the stakeholders have just the best experience that they possibly can and they get what they expect at the end rather than something that we want to deliver so that's that's certainly my view of what success looks like but isn't that sales job i mean come on colin like i'm a (laughs) my job doesn't say my job description doesn't say anything like that now you're telling me my role is a a service provider Uh, (laughs) when did that when did that happen i didn't sign up for that Uh, project management's always been a service it has always been a service that we provide to other people it's our job to inspire and motivate people to do great work that's you in service to everybody else there'll be there will be uh, conversations to be had about money and there's trade-offs about money and time but that's part of the motivation and inspiration exercise that we do uh, and it's our job to create a great experience because only when people are happy in their job can they be productive only when stakeholders feel like there's progress being made will they be satisfied with what they get at the end how many times Kurt, have we heard about these situations where companies have delivered a product that they never wanted, <laughs> ever wanted? And then all of a sudden, even though it delivered on time and budget, these are the worst projects ever. Mm. Um, it's because, you know, because we didn't put the effort into that communication relationship building. Um, we just del- delivered a good product that wasn't what they actually asked for. Um, so it's absolutely not sales's job. It's a project manager's job to deliver the best possible service, not only to the stakeholders, but to the team as well, and then to drive and make sure that the product gets delivered in line with their expectations. Uh, I, I love that perspective, Colin. So we're at time, but I feel like I could talk to you for about another six or seven days um, and, and not get, and not get bored. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time. So if I want to find out more about Colin and his work and the, the content that you put out, where are you most active and uh, where would you like to connect with people? Uh, so people can connect with me on LinkedIn, Kurt. That would be cool. So it's Colin D. Ellis. And then just put a little note to say that you heard me on the podcast. It's always nice to know where people have heard my voice. Um, so Colin D. Ellis on LinkedIn. Or you can uh, head to my website, which is www.cde.xyz. And there's a newsletter there you can sign up with, sign up to. You can uh, have a look at my videos and uh, some programs if you're interested in working with me. All that stuff can be found on the website. Great. That's awesome. And Colin, it was uh 
a real honor talking to you. I'm a big fan of the work you do, and I'm going to put links to everything on my site so everybody can go and check that out. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time for out of your day in Australia there in the nice warm <laughs> sun uh, to talk with me today. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Kate. It was a pleasure to talk to you too. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Schmidt List. If you want to learn more about how Foundry accelerates innovation, check out foundrymakes.com. And if you'd like me to speak about establishing a growth mindset at your conference or with your team, drop me a note at kurt at foundrymakes.com. Oh, and the next time you're on the internet, head to iTunes and leave the show a review. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend because sharing is caring. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show, and I hope you have a fantastic week.